My name is Ian and I help with the Christianity Explained course. The reading this morning is Daniel chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along but don't have a Bible, there are free Bibles at the back. You're welcome to take one as a gift from the church and follow along with us. So it's Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God has caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thanks, Ian. 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Diddy. Uh, I'm a member of uh, this church, and we're going to be going through Daniel chapter 1. So keep your Bibles open, and, uh, but before we start, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us your word. And Lord, no matter what's happened in our week or how we've started our day, Lord, I just pray that as we uh, sit here under the, under the authority of your word, uh, that you can be with our hearts, Lord. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our, of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, what things in your life overwhelm you? What situations, you know, trigger your heart and mind to the point where your brain, you know, neurologically goes, ding, red flag. You know, as you switch on the telly to watch the news and you're reminded about wars um, and you're reminded about, you know, maybe terrorism acts all across the world and what you interpret as, you know, a deterioration of society. Did your brain automatically go, ding, red flag? You know, as you scroll through your news feed and articles pop up, maybe about a social or political issue, uh, that one that is close to your heart, one that stirs up a bit of anxiety over what, your future, what the future of your children may look like. You know, does, does that red flag go up? Or maybe it's a person. You know, maybe it's even a family member, maybe a work colleague. You know, some, someone you've really struggled to love or even just be in the same room with. Someone who seems to flare up your anger or stir up a bit of anxiety. And as soon as you see them, ding, red flag. You know, there's situations and people uh, in each and every one of our lives those people or those situations, you know, shake us emotionally and spiritually. You know, so I ask, you know, what is it in your life that causes your brain to put up a red flag? It's important for you and I to identify these things in our lives because as a red flag goes up, you're then called um, to respond with a challenge of integrity, with a call of integrity. You know, how are you going to handle the situation that's in front of you? The truth is, we're always going to live in a world where our integrity is challenged. And this morning, we're going to discover through God's word how we can always live with integrity because God is always sovereign. We can always live with integrity because God is always sovereign. And to do so, we're going to be looking at three unchanging qualities about our good God. One, God is always in control. Two, God is always unchallenged. And three, God is always faithful. So as we explore our first point, we'll discover that we can always live with integrity because God is always in control. 
As we dive into Daniel chapter 1, travel with me to the year 605 BC. A big battle has just taken place and the Lord himself delivers Jerusalem into the hands of Babylon. Now, Babylon is located in modern-day Iraq and Babylon at the time is the superpower of the known world. And the king that is in charge is the very powerful yet very evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has not only uh, captured Jerusalem and King Jehoiakim, who is the king of Judah, but he's also taken some articles uh, from the temple of the God of Israel and he's placed them in the temple of his pagan gods in Babylon. And we hear about these articles again in chapter, Daniel chapter 4. Now, one important thing to remember in the midst of all of this, is that God is sovereign and He's in complete control. You know, we see His uh, sovereignty mentioned in this passage here. You know, did you notice in the the first half of verse 2? Have a look with me. It reads, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into His hand. In fact, Through the rise of every king and empire on earth, God is sovereign and in complete control. Through the fall of every king and empire on earth, God is sovereign and in complete control. Even to this day, whether it's superpowers like America and China with very powerful leaders, to even our country, Through the rise and fall of every leader and empire, God is sovereign and in absolute control. The Lord has allowed this capture to take place. And one result of everything that has happened is that four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, they're not put to death after being captured, but instead they're hand-selected amongst a few others by King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to be trained up so that they can serve him. Now, look at the requirements that King Nebuchadnezzar had for the young men um, that have been selected. In the first part of verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They're young, they got a good body, they're handsome, they're very intelligent, they're, they're quick in their learning, they're well-informed. You know, they've got the looks, the brains, and they know how to hold themselves uh, in a king's palace. They're very impressive young men. So much so that They've impressed the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and the leader of this powerful empire. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he passes on a responsibility to a man named Ashpenaz, uh, who is the chief of his court officials. And he's put him in charge of a program, a program that he has Daniel and his three friends signed up for a training program that lasts three years. Kind of like, you know, maybe like a Bachelor of Babylonian Studies. And in this three-year training program, they're going to be learning 
the language and the literature of the Babylonians. It's also likely that they are learning the pagan, uh, they are learning pagan Babylonian practices, like, you know, reading the stars and fortune telling, which were common in Babylonian culture. And part of their study, um, and part of their study, they will also be learning about pagan Babylonian gods, amongst other things. And essentially, what King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do is indoctrinate Daniel and his three friends over the course of three years. So first he isolates them from their family and now he's trying to rewire the way that they think by enrolling them in a three-year indoctrination program. Adding to this, look at the first half of verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They have food and wine that's been assigned to them. It's not just any food. This is food from the table of a king, the best of the best. They get to eat food from the table of the king of Babylon. No one gets privileges like this, but Daniel and his friends do. And the truth is, that God is in complete control and he has Daniel and his friends right where he wants them. And we'll come back to the food and wine shortly. Uh, But the next step in Nebuchadnezzar's process is uh, he attempts to put this final stamp on them by changing their names. Now, their names were tied in with the God of Israel. And what the king wants to do is he wants to strip them of their identity and put a new identity on them, an identity that is linked with pagan Babylonian gods. He wants them to assimilate completely with full loyalty to Babylon. Let's look at these name changes. In verse 6, we see that Daniel's name, which means God is my judge, was changed to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel protect the king. Now, Bel was the principal god of Babylon. Hananiah, his name means beloved of the Lord. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by Aku. Aku is the moon god. Mishael's name, which means who is like God, was changed to Meshach which means who is like a coup, again, the pagan moon god. And Azariah's name, which means the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego or Nabu, another Babylonian god. You know, the world is always trying to put its stamp on you. Actually, let me rephrase that. The enemy is always trying to put his stamp on you. Ephesians 6 verse 12 reminds us that our struggle isn't against uh, humans made in the image of God, but instead our battle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, maybe the enemy tries to Uh, put his stamp on you by making you give in to people with social agendas. 
Nowadays, if you're against a certain lifestyle because you believe it's a sin, they will say you have a phobia. Let me give you the definition of phobia from Harvard University, one of America's top universities. A phobia is a persistent, excessive, unrealistic fear of an object, person, animal, activity or situation. It is a type of anxiety disorder. So the world says to the rest of society, if you don't fit in with the proposed social construct, then you, your faith and your God, you're the problem. You know, and these things that once started off as social agendas, they've now even become political agendas in some countries, including our own country. You know, I often wonder what challenges our children will face, which includes every young soul that you saw running off to Sunday school this morning. And as a new father myself, it stirs me up a little bit, uh, you know, with a little bit of anxiety and every now and then, uh, a little bit of anxiety every now and then and, and wait, hold on, ding, red flag, Again, yes. Ah, red flag moment. Okay, Diddy, the enemy's got you feeling a bit uh, stressed and, and anxious about something. What do you need to do? Okay, well, let's start with setting the record straight with some truth. Well, the truth is the enemy is not in control. He never has been and never will be. And you want to see proof of who is in control? Have a look at Galatians verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God is the one in control. And in verse 9 and 10, knowing that God is in control, we're encouraged encouraged that we can live with integrity. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. You know, when that red flag goes up, persevere through it and continue to live with integrity as you do good to others, especially those in Christ Jesus. Did you know that Daniel and his friends, they're teenagers? You know, somewhere between the age of 13 and 16. You know, Daniel is younger than almost everyone that's sitting here right now. He's not only shaped by his faith, but he holds so tightly to it as a teenager. Because Daniel lives knowing that God is in control. And what does that mean for us? The same thing it meant for Daniel. We can always live with integrity because God is always in control. On to our next point. We can always live with integrity because God is always unchallenged. 
Let's look at uh, Daniel's situation from the perspective of a teenager. So he's in Babylon. The king signs him up for a free education. The king also lets him eat from his own table, giving him all the food he wants and all the wine he wants. Uh, it, now, if I was given uh, the option as a teen uh, to have free food and free wine, I would have said three things. One, sign me up. Two, when does a buffet start? And three, pour me a couple of glasses of your finest wine. You know, Daniel, he gets the opportunity of a lifetime and a dream for a typical teenage boy. And what does Daniel do in the midst of all this? Have a look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. This is one of the reasons why I love Daniel. With everything that has just been offered up to him, the only thing that's on the mind of Daniel is honouring God. You know, his parents aren't around. There's no priests around watching his behaviour, yet he lives with integrity. You know, the free education is fine. Even the name change he can tolerate. But Daniel draws a line with the food and wine from the king's table. But why on earth is the free food and free wine such a big deal to Daniel? Well, these are three possible reasons why Daniel refuses. The first one, the food itself is forbidden in Jewish law. You know, the Babylonians used to commonly eat food such as pig and horse, which are both forbidden in Leviticus. And though wine in itself wasn't seen as unclean, their wine was offered up to the gods of Babylon and even poured on the altars of their pagan gods. Second reason is that Daniel doesn't want to express his friendship and loyalty to the king, nor a dependency on the king. You know, this is a big deal, especially back then, but it carries a lot of weight. You know, eating with one another is not just some kind of recreational activity. You know, to share food is to commit yourself to a relationship. You know, when I think about Jesus, he, he ate with sinners. And the Pharisees, they found this to be rather offensive. Why? Because eating with someone, it implies acceptance and relationship. If eating was just another recreational activity, then the Pharisees, they would have had nothing to complain about. But Daniel, he understands on, to some degree uh, the weight of communal eating. We're having Mexican this avo. And, you know, there's a reason why we have lunch um, after morning surf, uh, service every first Sunday. There's a reason we eat as a church community. You know, we celebrate our loyalty and our friendship to each other and our commitment to each other in a common purpose as we live out and share the gospel. You know, sharing a meal together holds a deep significance. Third reason is that Jewish law, it forbids food that is sacrificed to idols. And the foods that were offered up to Daniel, they would have been sacrificed to pagan Babylonian gods. So what does Daniel do when offered these 
delicacies. Well, the only thing on Daniel's mind is honouring God. He makes a decision to not eat the food. In fact, this can be translated even to Daniel sets his heart not to eat the food. And now that his heart is set on what he definitely does not want to do, he doesn't become rude or abrupt in his approach. He doesn't demand a different set of food. No, Daniel politely and respectfully asks whether he can have a substitute. Have a look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And Daniel's parents probably raised him well. You know, he's not asking. He is asking. He's not demanding. And in verse 10, Daniel's request, it it actually gets knocked back. Have a look. Uh, But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Here, we also see, uh, we see a little bit of insight into the evil nature of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel's, but yeah, Daniel's challenge of integrity, it's not finished yet. And what does he do? So Daniel asks, again, using wisdom and tact, while still being respectful. And he proposes an idea. Verse 12 and 13. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And now before we read verse 14, note that verse 9 says, Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. And then in verse 14, we see that favour and compassion. Verse 14 reads, So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. How good is that? You know, after originally being knocked back, the official in charge agrees to go ahead with Daniel's proposed plan. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, no one, because God is unchallenged. In verse 15, as a result of these 10 days, Daniel and his friends look healthier and better nourished than the others who ate the food from the king's table. which then leads the guard in verse 16. Uh, He takes away all the fancy food and the good wine and he replaces it with vegetables and water. They went from fancy food to vegetables to a vegetable and water diet. Man, the other teenagers probably would have uh, not liked that very much. Uh, But Daniel put God first in his decision-making and was the recipient of God's favour along with his three friends. And yes, there is a strength of character and faith that is present in this decision. But ultimately, uh, Daniel succeeds because God is unchallenged. It was God who caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. 
What is it that defiles you? You know, is it gossip, which seems to naturally just flow from your lips, which deeply saddens our Father? Is it the things that you watch on the internet that leads your eyes, your mind and your heart to sin? You know, is it your ever-growing appetite for luxury and excessive self-indulgence? Is it your love for money as you go about life making excuses for your greed? You know, what sin in your life has been defiling you? You know, the enemy wants to defile you. He wants you to move further and further away from God. And his end goal is to claim you as his own for all of eternity. Our God, however, is unchallenged and has no rivals. Satan is no match when he's up against our God. The biggest proof that God is unchallenged is his victory at the cross. You know, just when the devil thought he defeated Jesus and that he's got ultimate power over humanity, God raised his one and only son, Jesus, from the dead on that glorious third day. The devil has no power over God. And he has no power over those that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. God is unchallenged and we are the children of the unchallenged God. And because of this, as we battle the things that defile us with confidence, we can always live with integrity because God is always unchallenged. On to our final point. You know, we can always live with integrity because God is always faithful. God, the master orchestrator in the story of Daniel, rewards Daniel's faithfulness by giving him knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and even the ability to understand visions and dreams of all kinds, which we see throughout the rest of the book of Daniel which I encourage you to read in your own time, probably with a good commentary because Daniel can be pretty difficult to understand in some parts. But if you can push through, the book of Daniel is absolutely incredible. Verse 18 to 20 then skips ahead three years. And now we're at the end of Daniel's training. Alongside his three friends, it's graduation day. And uh, they've just completed, you know, so this Bachelor of Babylonian Studies, so to speak. They are presented to King Nebuchadnezzar, who is absolutely amazed with these four young men in every matter of wisdom and understanding. And he finds them so vastly better than anyone in the Babylonian kingdom. God places and uses Daniel in Babylon for about 70 years to have influence in the most dominant superpower of the known world. In the space of three years, God has led Daniel from exile to global influence. God is sovereign and has been faithful to Daniel the entire time. It's important here to recognise that God's faithfulness doesn't necessarily mean God's earthly blessings. 
You know, remember Stephen in the book of Acts? Well, he was faithful to God and he was stoned to death for it. We've got brothers and sisters around the world who get killed for their faith. They're faithful to God. Now, was God faithful to Stephen? Yes. Stephen will spend the rest of eternity living with the very God he died for. In fact, Stephen will be honoured in heaven as a man who laid down his life for Christ. God was faithful to Stephen. God was faithful to Daniel. And God is faithful to us. You know, this morning we've spoken about those red flag moments. You know, what are those moments for you? You know, we've seen that God is always in control, which means that you can let go and surrender all control to God. We've seen that God is always unchallenged, which means that you can surrender your anxieties over to the God of victory. We've seen that God is always faithful to his people, which means that you can have complete confidence in him and trust in his sovereignty. Every time your brain sets off the red flag, your heart must raise the white flag. The white flag. The flag of surrender. When our heart raises up the white flag, we declare to God that He is sovereign. He is in control. He is unrivaled. And He is always faithful. And as we surrender, we respond with a life filled with integrity, a life lived with integrity. Now, how do you stand with integrity in today's world? How do we as a church train the next generation to stand like Daniel did in this ever-changing world? You know, if you want gospel-centered discipline in your family life, your work life, and your social life, it starts with two things, being transformed and shaped by his word and a total dependency of God, which can only come through a strong prayer life. Like I used to sing in Sunday school, back in the day, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. These are the two things that are foundational, foundational disciplines of the Christian faith. And once your foundations are set, your family life, your work life, your social life, and everything else in your life transforms and becomes more and more gospel-centered to the glory of our faithful God. We can always live with integrity because God is always faithful. Now, as we close, I want to ask you, you, know, have, you have you read how this story ends? Have you read how this story ends? Let me flip to, I'm going to read a couple of verses from the last chapter of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 14. Look, this is Jesus. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first 
and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. We know that God is always in control. We know that God is always unchallenged. And we know that God is always faithful. But sometimes those red flags come up. And when that red flag comes up, be reminded that you can chuck up that white flag and surrender those things to God. And as we go out into the week and as we have Mexican this Arvo, you know, we can remind each other of our eternal hope in Jesus Christ and live out our faith until the day he returns. We can always live with integrity because God is always sovereign. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are in complete control. You are unrivaled and you are always faithful to your people. But Lord, sometimes those, those red flags come up. We get stressed and anxious about things that um, we want control over, but Lord, as those things come up, I pray that we chuck up that white flag in complete surrender to you. And as we throw up that white flag, may we be completely confident that we can live in this world, in this ever-changing world, with integrity, because you are sovereign and in complete control. And we pray this in the name of our victorious Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.